This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things that you can buy that will actually help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This reason is why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that tethered saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current course setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, and along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. If you're like me, you spend a lot of time pouring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times are to hunt. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've had an opportunity to use the desktop version of Spartan Forge last year and recently the beta version of the iOS app, and it has replaced all of my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today to get your place in line as the fully available mobile app is coming soon. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee, guaranteeing to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker? They're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 254. Today, I'm joined by my buddy, Jake Bush, and we're talking about his opening day public land, Ohio Giant. So stay tuned.
everyone. Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. As you are listening to this, I will be on the road making my my voyage west to the the heartland, if you will, headed to Kansas. I'll be stopping by way of Ohio uh, to meet up with my our mutual good buddy, Mr. Chad Sylvester from Exodus Outdoor Gear. I'll be uh, stopping by his place, hanging out at the Exodus studio for like a day, maybe a day and a half. And then he and I will roll out together uh, from his place or from the uh, from the Exodus headquarters, if you will, and be headed uh, the rest of the way west uh, to to Kansas, where he and I will be chasing hopefully big white tails uh, for the better part of two weeks. You know, cr- fingers crossed that we uh, get it done early because we have a we have a contingency plan that if we get it done early, there's another state that we're going to stop. Uh, stop and get an over the counter tag and do some do some hunting, but we'll need to take care of business in in Kansas first. As far as what I've got going in, in Pennsylvania, you know, I had some really good counters like I'd mentioned earlier in the year, and uh, it just seems to have 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 dried up. Uh, one big deer that I've been kind of waiting to see when he shows back up because he kind of vanished on me mid October did show back up. I think it was like the twenty eighth, if I'm not mistaken. And so I kind of had a spot that was primed and I was just kind of letting alone until I knew he was starting to daylight again. And so he gave me that intel and I slipped in uh, this past Saturday to hunt him. I saw one buck at, at noon. Um, young buck, decent looking buck, but it's just a young, just a young deer. And uh, Mr. Mr. Big Guy was a uh, was a no show. I got soaked. It, it poured rain on me in the morning while I was trying to climb into the tree a little bit of a miserable morning. And I was actually in an area where I, I thought was going to be really good. And when I got in there, you just kind of get the feeling like you're in the wrong spot. Um, you know, and so I ended up sitting there until probably 10 o'clock and I just decided, I was like, you know what? I think I'm in the wrong spot. I think I need to move. And I knew of an area that had some, there was a primary scrape that I had found previously. And so I wanted to kind of walk to that or, you know, head over there and scout my way kind of there. And there was an area, essentially, if I hit that area, I could kind of, take this one kind of elevation line and, and check out a couple other things I wanted to check out if that didn't look good. And that was the general area where that deer had daylighted most recently. So I made my way over there. There's a stream that's there. So I was able to walk the stream for the most part to that spot uh, to keep my access clean. Um, and so when I got there, there were a bunch of fresh rubs that were there. So I ended up just setting up there because, you know, uh, fresh rubs looked good. I knew he was in there, you know, two days prior to that. And, uh, there had been does kind of hitting that, you know, scrape that's in that general area as well. So I felt good about the setup, but just didn't, uh, just didn't pan out for me. So we'll see. I essentially have maybe one, maybe two more hunts this week. As I'm talking to you guys, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, it's like Monday morning and maybe Tuesday morning before work, if I can get out. Uh, otherwise, you know, I'm headed to Kansas and that's pretty much it until I get back around Thanksgiving or the week of Thanksgiving. Um, you know, so it seems like that mid-October time was probably when I had my best opportunities whenever I had those uh, encounters. But, you know, we'll get back after it uh, when we get back from Kansas if we have to. But I'm not going to sell myself short here. I think I have some opportunities here at the beginning of this week if I if I play my cards right. But uh have a cool share for you guys today. We're just going to kind of get jumped into things. Before we jump into that, though, I want to make a quick mention. I'm always trying to bring you guys something that I think is helpful. And my buddy Cameron over at Hunting Gear Deals if you're not familiar with what they do, it's basically a site that's dedicated to the hunting community that helps find the best deals across the internet. So if you're looking for deals on gear, 
you can oftentimes go through a lot of searching and stuff like that, and you still maybe don't find what you want. So what he and his crew basically do is they scour the entire internet for deals, sales, coupon codes, you know, anything you can possibly think of to help you save some time and money when you're purchasing gear. The best way to never miss out on a deal whenever they find one is to go over to huntinggeardeals.com and subscribe to the Hunting Gear Deals daily deal email list. They'll actually get it. You'll get an email every day. And it'll kind of show you the most recent deals that they were able to find. They'll email them directly to you, um, you know, and make sure that they're in your inbox. That way you can, you know, pick up gear and, and save money as frequently uh, as, as you would like to. These guys don't actually, you know, sell the gear that they find at, hunting gears de- uh, at huntinggeardeals.com. They just simply are providing you a link to get you to the best place to find the best, uh, the best gear possible and hopefully – you know, help you stretch your hunting budget uh, each season to make sure you're getting the gear that you need and saving as much money as possible. If saving money and getting a great deal wasn't enough, Hunting Gear Deal is also the number one place to look for Black Friday and Cyber Monday hunting-related deals across the Internet. So during these special sales events, Hunting Gear Deals you know, basically makes a list or compiles a huge list of all the best hunting-related uh, deals in one place, saving you time and a bunch of money. So if you head to huntinggeardeals.com, go to the Holiday Sales tab, on their website in the main nav, you'll see a Black Friday and a Cyber Week kind of shopping guide where all the deals are located. If you're a deal fanatic like me, as you guys know that I am pretty into gear, then be sure to check out the extensive collection of unbiased and honest gear reviews submitted by hunters from across the country just like you. If you're interested in doing gear reviews, be sure to send an email to Cameron.HuntingGearDeals at gmail.com. He will hook you up and get you all set up so you can do some gear reviews as well so with that we got a cool show for you guys today that we're going to jump into i got my good buddy jake bush on the uh on the line so if you haven't seen the story yet you know i I like to often say you know jake bush hi my name's jake bush all i do is kill big deer because that's exactly what jake bush does um he's had a, a hell of a run since he's moved to ohio killing great bucks you know i had him on i guess it was almost two years ago when he killed that I want to say it was like mid one eighties public land buck in Ohio. And this one actually has, you know, is, is kind of even more special. If you will, he had, if you haven't heard the story, he had some tough family stuff that kind of happened just prior to opening day, which made this buck that much more special on top of the fact that it's a giant, uh, and it's public land. Um, Jake Bush is just one of those dudes that just gets it, man. Like it's just, some guys have that knack for, being able to get it done, thinking like a deer. And there's a handful of dudes that I've been able to talk to over the course of time that everyone has kind of different skill sets. You know, you've got the, you know, the, the Eddie Claypools that do it kind of a certain way. And then you've got, you know, um, you know, the Dan Enfaults that kind of do it a certain way. And then, you know, when I think of Jake Bush, man, I, I would say in the past, like there's not a guy that I think that I've come across in, in, you know, in, in doing this podcast that is better at pinpointing where a buck is bedded. And when he finds that out that, that, that deer's days are numbered. There's a lot of guys that, that, you know, have done that over time, but this guy's ability to just kind of surgically remove a deer is, uh, is in my opinion, next level and super stoked to have him back on the show to talk about this particular hunt and this particular story. So with that, we'll go ahead and get right to it. And, uh, as always want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I'm not even going to beat around the bush because, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't even a pun. I wasn't even trying to, I wasn't even trying to make funny there, but I got my brother Jake Bush on who it seems like all he does is kill big deer. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, Clint. Thanks for having me on, man. Uh, you know, I was just thinking about it as we were sitting here talking and 
my first podcast I ever did was on your show actually two years ago. So nice. it's been a, uh, it's been a hell of a journey and it's cool to come back full circle now, man. I'm excited. Right. For sure, man. Well, you're one of those guys. It's like, I always mean to have, it's, um, I always say this with buddies of mine, cause it's like, you have all these guys that you want to get on and friends you want to get on and explore new people and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, there's only 52 shows in a year and it's hard for me to <laughs> kind of fit everybody in. It's, I know it's a lame excuse, but I got to find more reasons to get you on just in general. Cause I, I, I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy your style, you know, how you hunt, how you like to get after it. And you're just, uh, and you're just salt of the earth kind of people. And those are the types of folks I like to have on the, on the show. So I, I'm glad I was able to be the first, um, at the rate that you're going, dude, you're going to have a lot of these in your future. <laughs> so, you know, we'll, it'll be a blip on the radar. The first one at, 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 a, at a, at some point, because you're just, you know, you're having quite the streak, but, uh, you know, like you said, man, I think it's been about two years since you've been, uh, been on the show. So what's been up with you, uh, since, uh, what's going on in, in, uh, in Jake's world since then? Uh, you know, it's life's been a little crazy, man. I, uh, I, I'm still have the same job that I had then, but I moved to day shift finally. Um, I had a little boy, Charlie Ray, which has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, I moved about an hour east of where I was living in Columbus now. So I did that last year, and I've really been, you know, chasing some new ground, scouting some new ground, and trying to figure some things out. And uh, really, besides that, it's the same old stuff for me, man. Spending a lot of time scouting, spending a lot of time hunting, and uh, that's about it. Nice. What Talk to me about that transition to, like, finding new ground. Cause I had a similar thing when I, you know, moved to PA and, you know, moved to the area that I live in where it's just, you know, I basically spent all off season, just kind of one year, just kind of jumping from every piece of public that was within, you know, a, uh, like a 40 minute drive of me essentially, you know, cause the pieces out by me aren't too terribly big. You know, if, if a big piece might be 12 or 1500 acres, you know, and a lot of them are probably in that you know, 300 acre to 400 acre kind of chunk or, you know, something to that effect. And I just spent one entire off season, basically every weekend and every day I had off just walking and walking and walking. And so when you move an hour away, right, did you have to kind of like reassess like the lay of the land in the new area and try to figure out like, okay, where am I, where are the spots that I can potentially go to? Where are the spots that are going to get pounded and where are some honey holes that might get overlooked? Did you kind of have to go through that process again? Yeah, I did. Exactly, man. And, uh, you know, for me, it was really, I, I have some things that work for me. You know, I've talked about hub systems quite a bit and talked about like the leeward ridges and mm-hmm. tough to access spots. So I, I was just, I basically got on my map within same thing as you, I, I, you know, I drew a big circle around my house within, mm-hmm. let's say 45 minutes of my house. And there is, I mean, I don't know, probably over a hundred thousand acres of public land within an hour of my place. So nice. I'm blessed to have that. Um, but I basically replicated every spot that has worked for me in the past. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to mark every one of them and I'm going to go put boots on the ground. And so I tore through a ton of land, you know, I shed hunted hard. I found 50 sheds on public this year, um, put on probably close to 500 miles boots on the ground and was really grinding. And, you know, a, a little bit of that had to do with my struggles last year as well. I was really frustrated with myself that it took me until, mid-November to get it done when I was chasing around that big one all year. So mm-hmm. I was a little bit frustrated and I just, uh, I, I really had something to prove to myself, I think more than anything. And I, I just went out swinging, man. I mean, spent every waking minute that I could out in the woods with, you know, aside from my family duties and obligations that I, that I need to do there and, right. uh, learned a lot. You know, I ran almost 40 cameras this year. I, uh, 
I just was, I glassed every day and I actually made that like a family thing where we Mm. would go for a ride, we'd go for a trip and we would just go glass fields every night. And that was like a family trip. You know, I'd go get ice cream if, if a girlfriend wanted ice cream and that was kind of our thing, you know what I mean? So I found a way to balance it a little bit and same as you, you know, I was trying to figure out where the people at, you know, where are the spots that look good that actually produce, where are the deer early season, where are they throughout the winter? And, uh, really just tried piecing it together the best I could and, and figuring out like, uh, uh, not only an age class, but an antler class on certain areas of these deer. And uh, that was really my approach going into season. Right now. I'm sure you probably ran into, you know, PA in Ohio, a little different as far as like, you know, you know, caliber of deer or target rich environment or whatever, whatever anyone wants to call it. But did you kind of quickly see like certain spots were going to hold different, you know, either age structure or antler antler caliber or whatever did you kind of quickly kind of be able to kind of do the visual math and say all right you know this spot here it'll be a good place to see bucks but it might not be the place where i'm gonna find the one that i want to chase but these spots over here i might not see as many but it's from what i'm seeing it looks like i'm gonna potentially see the things i want to see yeah i did and uh the, the one thing i noticed right away was in general moving east away from columbus the deer are like you know, 10 to 15 inches smaller on average. Like mm-hmm. my primary buck in a specific hub or a specific ridge system is, is smaller on the same like age class. So that's something I struggled with a little bit. And I, I was, uh, it really took me a while to find one that I wanted to target this year, early season. Um, but yeah, I, I noticed the same things for the most part. It was like, you know, certain areas just had, uh, you know, they had better class bucks for sure. Right. And those are the ones I really tried to focus in on more than anything. Right. And when you say hub system, are you kind of talking about, you know, thermal hub? Or are you kind of talking more about like a <clears throat> like a terrain feature as a hub of like where you kind of have found in the past to be an area where you're going to have concentrated movement, so to speak? So I'm, I'm talking about thermal hubs. Thermal and hubs that's really what I'm targeting. Yeah. yeah and it's. You know, like ones that have a drainage running out of them. I really don't like the bowls in the middle of ridges, but if a, if a ridge system makes like a C mm-hmm. and it faces east or north, that's something that I really try to focus in on just because of all the different like topography changes in there and different bedding points. Right. I just seem to find a lot of deer in those areas. So that's that's one of the things I'm really trying to just focus in on. Nice. And that's kind of one of those things. It's like to your to your point, it's like once you kind of find something that that works or, you know, a, a terrain feature or something that you can kind of replicate. Right. I, I've talked about that with Tony Peterson kind of, you know, quote unquote, you know, building the neural network for big deer, right. When you kind of build all these analogs where you've seen something somewhere in the past that has produced, and then you see something similar somewhere else, even it might be States away, but that kind of, you know, thermal hub, for example, like you're kind of speaking about, it might look different somewhere else, but like it, or it, I shouldn't say it will it'll look different. It might manifest different with different type of topography, but the look of it should be similar, right? And like the one example I think he and I talked about a little bit was take Kansas, for example, and like, you know, guys talking about secondary ridges and stuff like that. Well, Kansas, you don't have a lot of t- topography, right? Like you're, gonna, you're not going to have like spine backs and stuff like that where you can kind of find secondary ridges off of them and things like that. But if you think about the draws and drainages out there, they're actually just inverted inverted ridges with secondary ridges coming off of them, which would be like tributaries running into them. 
And so, you know, talking to Eddie Claypool about that stuff, he was like, yeah, he's like, that's kind of what, that's kind of what that mimics. And so it's like, you might not, it's, there's not ridges there per se, but right. But the topography is just inverted and it's kind of having the same effects, you know? So it's kind of cool. That you're kind of pinpointing those specific things that you're kind of finding in one place and overlaying it in another place, which is pretty rad. Yeah. And, and it's, it helps a lot too, because a, your confidence level is higher going into those spots, but you yeah. kind of have the approach that you need to take anyways. You know, the, the learning curve isn't necessarily there. So you can go to a new spot like I did this year and find a, a hub that sets up about the same way. And I already know how to go in there and attack it and how to look for the beds and where they should be or shouldn't be, how they kind of maneuver through that hub, you know, where the hub scrape generally is, and then how they pour out to their destination food source every night. And it's just, for me, the learning curve is, is much easier. And so I can go to a new place and within a year get on good deer again. You know, that's right. It just helps out. Yeah, for sure. And it cuts down the amount of time. Like, you you know, you're able to cover a lot more places whenever you're that targeted on what it is you're going to look for and where you're going to look for it. So you don't have to spend a full day necessarily tearing a place apart. You can kind of pretty much go with precision and go, all right, I've looked through this for, for two hours. I've been to where I should see what I need to see. I haven't seen it. It's probably not here. Now it's time to move on to the next, right? Yeah, exactly. And I did that quite a bit too. You know, I canceled <laughs> out a, a ton of spots. I ended up with seven locations that I ran cameras this year out of over 30 spots. I mean, right. it was just. Right. Talk to me about how you're using cameras then, you know, 40. I mean, <clears throat> I have quite a few out, but I have them spread out between, you know, local and then, you know, the big woods up in Northern PA and stuff like that. And so I have probably between me and a buddy of mine that we're kind of working, it's probably like 30 ish or something like that, that we have out in, in total. Um, you know, talk to me about the, what you're kind of using your cameras for or where you're kind of placing them. Are you you're placing them over a kind of, community scrapes or scrapes or are you placing them in pinches you know what's your what's your kind of method there so I've, I've got two different strategies um the first strategy is normally it takes less cameras but it's basically going into like one of these hub systems and laying down one camera on a, on a big community scrape you know the hubs mm -hmm. that i'm focusing on have those scrapes mm -hmm. so you know like in the past years what i've done is i'll take 10 cameras and run them in 10 hubs and then i'll go check those cameras before season and whichever one has the biggest deer on it, and that is the that I feel I could be the most efficient at killing that deer is the one that I'll target. Mm -hmm. What I what I started doing more of now that I have more cameras is I'll run like four or five cameras in these hubs. You know, so I'll pick like this year seven, right? So I ran anywhere from four to maybe seven cameras in these spots. And what I was doing is finding the community hub scrape because that's the best inventory that I find hands down. Yep. And then I would uh I would put a lot of cameras on like the secondary food source. So, you know, there's the primary food source or destination food source. As a lot of guys call it to me is like, you know, some of these places have a private ag field or they have like a right. big clear cut or a or giant white Oak flat. Yep. I really don't care about those. I know they're headed that direction, but I can't hunt those, you know, and a lot mm -hmm. of times the bucks that I'm after aren't making it there in daylight. So what I'm looking for is those secondary food sources, which is really the first thing they hit when they get out of their bed. Right. You know, is it a briar patch? Is it a single white oak tree? Is it some uh, browse just on the, on the floor, you know, like some green browse basically. Right. And I'll put cameras on that secondary food source, but I'll also put cameras in between the primary beds and the secondary food source. Hmm. So I'm trying to figure out which direction and which food source those deer prefer off those beds. And that helped me quite a bit this year. You know, I noticed uh, 
I noticed that helped quite a bit. Another thing I look for too, which is kind of kind of random, I have a couple spots where there'll be really good betting that sets up for like a north and a south wind, mm-hmm. which I'm what I'm doing there is I'm playing like a uh, wind switch, right? So right. say that I you know it's primary uh, southwest wind betting point, but if I get a northern wind, the deer will actually like either go up over the ridge and bet on the other side, or they'll go down the hub and bet on the other side. Right. And I've been locating these, uh, these scrapes on those trails that do that and putting Hmm. cameras on them. And the amount of midday activity I have between those two different betting points is unbelievable. Are you getting, it's like, go ahead. I'm sorry. So, so say 10 AM, you know, I had a Southwest wind last night and then Southwest wind in the morning at 10 AM, I get a North wind in the next hour to two hours, it's almost guaranteed. I have a shooter buck come off that bed and go to the Southern part of that Ridge to bet on the other side. I mean, I've never, I've never seen anything like it. So I'm really going to start focusing on that more too. Nice. That's interesting. So that's, that's basically playing off of, he has one wind when he's coming back to bed. Right. And then it's going to, at some point during the course of the day, it's going to, you know, the wind's going to switch for whatever front or whatever, you know, system's going to move, move through, whether it's bringing rain or cold weather or, or whatever the case is. That's one thing I think, you know, some people foul up cause I'm actually playing that game now with kind of, I think I sent you a deer that I'm kind of looking at, you know, trying to figure out what he, what he's doing. I have a pretty good idea, but I'm getting all the wrong wins right now. And so I was actually talking to Greg Litzinger about this a little bit, and we were talking a little bit just about an East wind, which is almost wrong to hunt that spot. It makes access a, a pain in the ass for that spot but what we were basically talking about was like man you know a deer like that who's probably gotten pressured a lot and so on and so forth it's like if you can get him going back to his regular bed on that wind that you typically that he wants to use it all your camera data is telling you that that's where he wants to be on that wind if you can get that wind to switch on him it's going to force him to potentially make a mistake you know he's gonna have to get up at some point and move potentially without that wind in his favor now this is a little different of a setup where it's not a ridge, so he doesn't have necessarily the the wind advantage still by being on the point or a ridge system where he can just kind of hop over and not really ever lose the advantage, so to speak. This is an area where it's kind of uh, it's not flat, but it's not it's not a ridge or a mountain by any stretch of the imagination. So if he's going to get up and move on a different wind from what he betted, he's going to at some point probably have to make a wind advantage mistake to get to wherever he wants to go. You know, and so that's kind of interesting. That's one thing I've been looking at is can I catch him making a mistake on based on a wind switch? So that's interesting that you mentioned that. Yeah, that, that sounds just about right, man, honestly. And, uh, you know, I've got a couple deer where if I want like this year, if I want to take my brother out or somebody out down here, I'm the only time I would really target a couple of these deer. The only time they're susceptible to getting killed is on that switch. So that's something that I'm paying a lot of attention to as well. Nice. That's awesome, man. Um, so, you know, last time you were on, I know we talked, of course it was, you killed that, you know, total stud monarch buck, 190 incher, you know, on, on, on public, you know, and which was an awesome deer, of course, but I'm just curious, man, how you would describe your hunting style just kind of overall, you know, and then think about, you know, I guess, give me a sense of if you think that you've changed or how you've changed and adapted since you killed that deer. Like, cause I'm sure there was lessons learned hunting that deer that you've kind of applied and adapted things as you've kind of continued to progress and target specific deer. Can you talk about that a little bit? Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. 
We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Yeah, so it really it really starts way before that buck, too. Um, mm-hmm. That was just, you know, I find I moved out of New York where I was killing, like, four-year-old 120s, and I moved down to Ohio and just happened to have a 190 walk by, 186, whatever it was. But right. um, I would say that my strategy, for the most part, has stayed the same. Um, if, if anything, I've gotten more aggressive because that confidence has built. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if two years ago, if I would have asked myself, do you think you could get more aggressive? I would have said no, but I feel like as you keep learning little tidbits of information about some deer and patterning deer and, uh, you know, the ball just like keeps rolling, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and you just keep gaining confidence. And now I'm at the point where like this year, I mean, I was unbelievably aggressive on the deer that I killed that first set this year. And, uh, I don't know if I would have done that a couple years ago or not, but mm-hmm. I feel like I'm starting to really, really figure out some of these spots and locations. And I'm more than anything else. I think I'm starting to realize like what it takes to be efficient early season. As far as like, you know, I might have two deer that are the same class mm-hmm. or I might have two deer that are within like five inches. We'll say, and I'm going to go after the one that I feel I can be more efficient on the one that sets up to be killed easier. You know what I mean? So right. that's something that I guess I've changed quite a bit. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really the same thing, man. I mean, it's scouting my butt off, finding the beds, locating the food sources when I pull cameras in September, staying out of those areas, and then just formulating a game plan and really believing in myself that, you know what, even though there's 30 beds in that hub, I think he's in this bed and that's the bed I'm targeting. And I don't care about the other beds. Like I'm going to go for that specific bed and get within 80 yards of it. If the, if the food source is hot and I'm going to hunt it and you know, let's say 90% of the time I'm wrong, but that 10% feels really good, man. It really does. (laughs) Nice. You mentioned, I want to, you know, double back on two things here. One is you mentioned efficient, you know, and I, I think, so far, just in this chat, I think you've mentioned it three times. And so, yeah. you know, it seems like it's a big kind of factor in kind of how you approach things. So what, like, what form of efficiency are you looking for? Is it, you know, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, if I were to guess, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm just kind of pontificating here. It's like, I'm guessing it's like efficient access, right? That I have an efficient win to be able to be in the right spot to where he feels like he has the advantage and it's almost wrong for me. It's like, it's a, it's efficient in the sense that, you know, I've kind of cut down the margin of error of like where I think his travel routes are. It's like, can you talk to me? Like, what are those efficiencies that you're looking for? So, yeah, everything you named and, uh, you know, really the, the amount of, when I get to season, the amount of time it's going to take me to kill a deer is Mm -hmm. what I'm really saying when I'm saying that efficiency, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, in my home state, at least in Ohio, I want to have my target buck completely figured out. And I want to go in and kill him day one every single year. I'm sure everybody does, right? But right. it's a matter of actually, like, actually doing that and and starting to put that into motion. And so, you know, there's a lot of different factors that go into that. But as far as the efficiency I was talking about there, like, like I kind of pointed out before, you know, if you have multiple bucks, but let's say I have two 160s, right, that I'm chasing around, mm-hmm. and I have one that's in uh, in wide open hardwoods big hill country, wide open hardwoods, and I can't hunt any closer than, you know, 250 yards to his bed because he can see me regardless. Like he's mm. always got me. Right. 
But the next buck I have of the same class is in a really thick area where I can access in there and get in and set up on them within, within 80 yards. That to me is a much more, not necessarily the work that goes into it from an efficiency standpoint, but the amount of time it's going to take for me to actually get on that deer, it's going to be much more efficient to chase that deer than another deer with my time on the year. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, that's smart, man. Just because, you know, I think a lot of guys probably, you know, spend a lot of time chasing deer. They probably have very little chance to kill, you know, just based on whether that deer ha- is moving in daylight, right. Or whether or not they're able to get close enough to the bed or whether or not they have enough time that they can dedicate to it based on their work schedule, family obligations and stuff like that. I mean, I think, I think that what you're kind of talking about is like, you got to kind of factor in like your life, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like what, it, and what it will take to kill said deer. And, and do you have the, the capability, not just strategically, but even just to your point, efficiency wise or time wise to make it happen, to get it done. And if you don't, is there another one that actually sets up to be more killable? Right. Exactly. And then the percentage thing too, you know, like say that you have two bucks that are bedded in the same Northeastern facing hub, like it, the hub sets up the same as two different hubs in hill country. Mm-hmm. And the one has one bedding point and the other one has five bedding points. It's much more efficient to go after the one with one bedding point than the one with five bedding points. Right. The, per, the chance of you killing that one on the, you know what I mean? So you, yeah. you start factoring all of those things. Like if you can locate enough gear, to play that game, it really makes early season a lot easier too, because you just, you have the options and you can sit down at the table and say, okay, you know, these five factors, if I get this win, I'm going after this buck because he is easier to kill. He's the percentage chance that I have of seeing that deer and killing him are much higher here than the other one. Right. Yeah. And the other part is too, is like, because you like to, you know, as aggressive as you are, you know, it's like, if you, you know, if something happens where you make a mistake, you've got a couple other kind of lined up that you could go after, right? So it's not like all your eggs are necessarily in, in one basket, so to speak. It's the one that you would prefer because of the efficiency perspective. But if something happened to where that deer got killed or you got super aggressive and blew him out and just, you know, he was showing up nocturnal now and not sure exactly where he was daylighting or whatever the case is, it's like you don't have to pin your hopes and dreams on that one. You can kind of move and shift to the next, whatever the, whatever the next most efficient kill opportunity would be, right? Exactly. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Playing, playing the odds, man, playing the percentages. So, all right, man. So enough beating around the, uh, I'm not going to say Bush again, cause that was a really bad unintended, <laughs> uh, unintended pun, but uh, beating around the tree here. Um, you know, you spend, you know, like you mentioned, man, you spend a ton of time in the woods scouting. One of my buddies, actually, when you posted the picture of that, that deer, he was, uh, you know, he, he texted me, he said, man, he's like, he said something to the effect of, um, you know, I want to understand what this guy's, uh, what Jake's, you know, trick is or what his, you know, secret sauce is. And my, resp- I, I, I texted him one word back. I just said, grind. I was like, that, I was like, yeah. that literally is like, I was like, that's his approach, man. I was like, he's, he lives in the woods, you know? And another buddy of mine, we were talking about it and it, and he mentioned Steve Shirk. Um, when we were kind of talking about the deer that you killed and stuff like that, because Steve's one of those guys where it's just like, he spends so much time in the woods and it kind of rem- like reminds me or him of you, you know, because of how much time you're just in the woods. And like when you spend that much time out there doing that, I mean, you just start to really, things become a lot more clear is what I'm kind of guessing. You just kind of like understand all the, like the nuances of what's happening in the woods when things are changing because you're just, you're always seeing it. Right. 
it really is. And I, I appreciate that, man. I really do. And, um, yeah, it, it's really time in the woods. You know, there's, there's no secret sauce. There really mm-hmm. isn't. Um, I follow a lot of the original like beast tactics, you know, yeah. that's where I picked a lot of this stuff up and I've listened to, you know, I don't know, man, thousands of podcasts, probably all yours. And, <laughs> um, but it, it's really applying that, right? So, you yeah. know, you, you get all this information and then if you're really passionate about it, you put it to use and you just put time in the woods. And, and like you said, just, you start figuring these things out. And what I've really started doing a lot that's helped me in the past couple of years is slowing down. You know, mm. I'm, I'm a fast talker. I'm a fast walker. Everything I do is like quick. I've really started to maybe even it's like appreciative, but I, I really start to slow down in the woods now. And it's helped me a lot. You know, I'm starting to find these little things that I would have just walked by before mm-hmm. little like this year, you know, I'm, I'm out in the woods and I told myself before I set up every setup this year, I'm going to sit on the ground for 20 minutes to a half hour and just observe what's going on to make sure I'm making the right move. And, uh, what I realized this year was the Oak flat that I was targeted. There was two Oak flats that I could have potentially targeted on this deer. I targeted the one I did because I sat up on top of this Ridge and watched 25 squirrels go crazy, picking up all, all the white Oak acorns. Hmm. And I could hear them dropping and hitting the tree branches on the flat that I was on. So that was like, you know, the slowing down made me just realize, yes, you need to be here for sure. And this white Oak on the end of this flat, the closest to him is dropping. So if you can't shoot that, you're out of the game. You have to be able to find a way to get to that tree to shoot that deer. So it's, it's paying attention to little things, man. Like, I mean, I would never listen to squirrels five years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent, man. It's, and it's funny cause you know, been doing this podcast for however long I've been doing it. And that's, you know, there's a, there's a few little things that, you know, from getting a chance to talk to all the people that I've had a chance to talk to, you start to pick up on a few things that really kind of make the difference. Cause a lot of people that you talk to that like the bow hunt are passionate, right? So passion just isn't like, isn't enough necessarily, right? You can be passionate yeah. about football, but you ain't ever going to make it to the NFL. You know what I mean? Like there's exactly. a lot of other things that have to happen for you to do that. It's the same thing with bow hunting, you know, it's or anything you want to be good at. It's like the passion's there. Okay, that's kind of check number one. Because if you ain't got that, that's kind of pass, like you don't pass go at that point. And then it becomes, are you dedicated? You know, are you willing to put the work in? You know what I mean? It's like, okay, cool. That's check number two. And then it's like, you know, that's kind of like whenever you see like the people with like talent, where it's like, okay, this person is talented. Well, then that's when you start to see people surpass the talented because they're now starting to pay attention to detail. And that's whenever like the things start to really separate. And that's kind of what I've noticed in just doing this podcast for as long as I have is that the, the nature, the detailed nature of the guys that get it done consistently like you and like the end faults and like the, you know, Cody DeQuistos and, you know, name a bunch of other dudes, you know, that, you know, get it done on a consistent basis. You know, they're paying attention to the small things because it's the small thing that's going to like, that's going to make it work. Right. And it's, you know, it's spending time in the woods with somebody else and kind of understanding what they pick up on. I do that every year with Greg Litzinger. I go and I scout with him somewhere because I just want to watch how he picks things apart and what he pays attention to, you know? And it's like, and I pick up little things from him all the time that I would never pick up. We were in a thicket the one day and I was kind of looking around and we weren't finding, you know, a whole lot of sign or whatever. Then all of a sudden he's like, Hey, come look at this. And I'm like, and he's looking at a tree and I'm like, what the hell are you looking at? And there was like the smallest tick marks on the side of this tree. And he's like, there's a buck coming through here using it. He's like, it's a pretty decent one. He's like, cause he's making tick marks on this tree and this tree. I can see where his antlers are brushing up against it. That's, That's something cool. I would, I would have never seen that. You know what I mean? Like I would have walked right past that. And so to your point, it's like, 
it's paying attention to the small things. You know, it's like he just gave me another tip the other day. It came from Johnny Stewart. He's like, you find an acorn flat where this deer that I'm trying to kill, he's spending some time around this primary scrape. He's like, check out the acorn, see if they have a hole in them. If they have a hole in them, they already have bugs and they're not going to want them. I'm like, perfect. You know what I mean? Like, would have never thought of that. You know, So it's like little things like that that you just kind of pick up along the way. And if you start paying attention to them, it'll tell you whether you're in the right spot or not. And it's like, and you're keen in on those things like a, like a madman, dude. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, you know, it's funny you brought up Johnny because uh, this spring me and him went out and scouted an area uh, for this. We have a Spartan Forge event coming up in January. Yeah. And uh, it was it was really cool because we're on this really steep hillside, right? And, yeah, it's got oaks on it. But this thing is, like, one of the steepest hills I've been on. And there's just a beat-down deer trail. Mm-hmm. And we're walking this hillside, and he's like, all right, i got to check my camera real quick. And I'm like, what do you mean you got to check your camera, Johnny? Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I got a camera on this hillside, like this steep hillside on this trail. <laughs> and I was like, that does not make any sense to me at all. Right. Right. And so we walk over to it. And I'm like confused. I'm like, Johnny knows what he's talking about for sure. But man, this is, this is out there right here. This is a <laughs> steep hill. And he pulls his camera out and opens his card up on his camera and just slammer giant, 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 giant buck. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Yeah. You know, yeah. just like, the most off the wall thing I've ever seen. And yeah. he was right on the money. And yeah. it was like, so, yeah. so that's the other thing too, you know, hanging out with uh, people that are just going to make you better. That's, that's a really yeah. important part of this too. And we're blessed to have a lot of guys like Greg and Johnny and, you know, I can ping stuff off. Uh, I'll ask all sorts of guys questions all the time. That, that helps a lot too. Oh man, you, you ain't kidding, dude. You know, that's like, you know, one of my favorite things, you know, I, you know, so not to derail, but like that, you know, that picture that, or that video, that deer that I sent you, you know, I was stoked that I'd watched him in the summer, you know, and, uh, I knew that he was around, but he wasn't showing up a lot. So I wasn't getting too excited about it necessarily until I maybe got some fall pictures of him or whatever. And I got, you know, those videos and I was talking to Litzinger and I had an idea how I needed to set up and, or what I would do to set up and what I would do to access. Cause I thought based on where I, how he was kind of coming in. I thought maybe my access that I was using previously might not be correct. And so, you know, and this going back to what you said, it's like, it's awesome having dudes you can ping and talk to, you know, about things to try to tweak your setups. Cause I literally, he and I literally got on a phone and I sent him them, you know, we looked at, you know, we looked at the map together and we started talking about where his bedding opportunities was, how he's coming into that, you know, primary scrape, what, you know, there's Oaks in there where, you know, what angle is he coming from in that video? And I love running cameras on video mode for that reason. Cause I can kind of tell how they're enter- entering and exiting. So I can see like directionally, if, you know, what time of day it is, how the angle they're coming in. So I can kind of get a sense where they're coming from most specifically. And we sat there for like an hour and talked through like the different setups and finally kind of settled on like a specific setup for a specific wind. And we think this deer is better in a specific spot, you know? And it's like, to your point, you know, it's like some of the stuff he was talking about, I would have never, I would have never thought of. And Johnny is one of those dudes. I, I think pretty highly of Greg and Johnny's one of those dudes where Greg's like, dude, Johnny says some stuff sometimes where I'm just like, I don't even know where he comes up with it. And he's right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yes, he is. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it is. But anyway, so ju- to jump back to the, to this deer. So I want to get like all the details, man. So, you know, for, so for this buck that you, that you killed this year, I know this, you know, you moved, you scouted all over the place, all these different pieces of public that are, you know, within 45 ish minutes of you roughly or whatever, wherever he might've been. How did you end up locating this specific deer? Like, was this like, did you find his sheds? Did you, did you know he had been there from last year? Did you get like a late season picture of him or did you just really find him kind of this, this, this summer? What was the deal with finding this deer? So I, uh, 
I, I ran cameras last year when I got out here, you know, it was during hunting season, but I still was driving like an hour and a half to two hours to my hunting spots last year because I had so many big deer pegged. Right. Um, so I, I threw some cameras out here just for that, like raw inventory for the next year. I was like, you know, I'll get a pretty good idea of what's running around this area. Mm-hmm. So I got one picture of him last year. So I knew he was there and I shed hunted that spot. And I mean, it was like, nobody's ever been in there. I found, I found a lot of sheds last year, but I found like, I don't know, 20 plus sheds wow. in this, let's say thousand acre chunk. Nice. It was unbelievable. And so I was like, does anybody even walk in here? Because there's sheds laying like right on the deer trails that are two or two or three year old sheds right, all over the place. <laughs> and I found a, a giant typical set in there. I mean, just a huge, huge buck, uh, 14 point typical. Wow. And yeah, there's it. So I was like, it's a good area for sure. So going into this year, I did what I do every year. I put my cameras out late June, early July. And, uh, this year I had, a couple cell cams too, which I would run, you know, you only have so much service in Ohio. So I'd run them right. like up on top of a ridge. Yeah. So they're, they're really not a factor, but it did, I did get a couple pictures of that buck on that camera, which let me know he was there too. Um, but so basically I put my cameras out in early July and, uh, I didn't, I'd never check my cameras until September because, you know, a, there's a, there's two different types of big wood hunting, big, big woods hunting. I do. The first is where the deer don't really move. They don't have a shift because they have like a clear cut yeah. or just, uh, some sort of food source nearby where they can always be in that like specific hub. Yep. The second one is areas where the deer are transitioning from like private ag fields a mile away back into the hardwoods come September. Right. So checking my cameras all summer for me is pointless. You know, I, I put them out in anticipation of that shift that's going to happen in September. Right. So September, September rolls around and I'll pull the worst cameras first. So like my secondary spots. And as I get closer to season, I'm pulling my better cam. Okay. So I'm, I'm pulling all these cams from these seven spots and a uh, little disappointed, man. Honestly, I'm like, you know, I'll, I've had some really giant bucks to chase the last two years. And this mm-hmm. year, you know, mid September, I'm looking at it like a bunch of one forties and a couple that might be in the fifties. Right. Like it's not going very good. And I'm a little frustrated um, lots of them, but there just wasn't a ton of size to them yet. So I get to that last camera pull and I access, you know, it's way back there. It's almost a mile and three quarters or two miles from the road. It's really far. But so I, I get back in there and what I noticed right away, you know, it's, uh, probably the third week coming up on the third week of September, like a week before season. What I noticed right away is, uh, a lot of sign in there. Mm-hmm. A lot of deer sign, a lot of big tracks. A lot of these hub scrapes are opened up, even on the ground now. You know, the looking okay. branch is always good, but right. Um, and I get to this white oak flat where I have a camera, and white oak flat is just getting hammered, man. There's there's acorns everywhere, and that really down here this year, there's not a ton of acorns in, in all my spots. So I'm super fired up about the acorn thing, and uh, pull that camera, and I had that buck on the camera two or three times total. And it was like maybe two days, I believe mm-hmm. I had him on there a couple times and he was going up the hill in the morning. You know, we had for those days, I always check the wind for my, each camera picture I get of a buck. I'll check yep. the wind and things like that. Yep. And okay. Southwest wind. So I know he's going up over the hill, bedding on the other side. Like he always does like all those deer do. And, uh, what I was thinking when I was in there, I was like, you know what, if I ever did get like a North or Northeast wind, he would bed in this hub on this side of that ridge and 
he would only be like a hundred yards from this flat. So, you know, right now he's getting to this scrape in these oaks at two hours past dark. But if he was bedded right here with that right wind, I could kill him on that day. But I was like, you know, kind of what you're going through right now. I was like, but when's the chance I'm going to get a Northeast wind. Right. Right. Yeah. Like not a very good chance. Yeah. And I'm, so, in, the, I'm uh, in the exact opposite of that where it's like, he's loving a South and Southwest and like all I'm getting right now is East and Northeast. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I get yeah, what you're exactly. saying. It's like, I'm like the wind I need, I'm not getting right now what he likes, but yeah, totally. Exactly. So I've got that in the back of my head. Right. And I'm thinking about other ways to target this buck from the other side. And you know, like the, the hundred thing we do, I'm, I've yep. got a million different things running through my head, Yep. but I'm like, this is the buck I'm targeting for sure. Because this is the hands down the biggest year that I have this year. And I had another good 11 point in there, like probably uh low or mid fifties, 11 point where I was like, you know what, this year I'm struggling a little bit. If he walks by, I'll probably, I'll probably smoke him if I get the chance. Right. And, uh, so coming up to opener, we didn't have a North wind, but we had a pretty good wind. And I was like, you know what? I can target that. Well, things go South. I get a call about my dad my dad passed away. And, uh, so hunting's the last thing I'm thinking about. Right. You know, right. I'm yeah. headed to New York. I spent a week with family up there and, uh, did our grieving process and kind of took care of some things and terrible situation. But when I was up there, I remember thinking, I was like, you know what? Uh, I was going to have dad come down this year to Ohio and this is the spot I was probably going to put him in and try to get him just a big old giant buck. You know, he's a, right. he hunted New York for 45 years, 50 years. And he would probably never shot anything over like 120. you, you know, typical right. New York, good bucks are yeah. 115 inches, 110 inches. So yeah. I was really fired up about that, about bringing him down. I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go kill that sucker when I get the chance for him. As soon as I get the chance. And, uh, we came back on a Thursday, we get back to Ohio and I checked my, uh, my, my Spartan forge app. And I had a, what was it? A Northeast wind for that day. And as the day went on, it was going to move more to the East. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I got him. I know he's going to be bedded there. You know, for a, for a Southwest wind, he's got like 20 different bedding areas that he could be in like different little points off this Ridge because it's full of ridges of uh, points. Right. He could be in a bunch of them. Like he could be anywhere within this quarter mile, but on a North wind or a Northeast wind, he's only got like one or two points he can bet on. So there's that efficiency thing starting back off, right? Like that high percentage sit. So yeah, like, you know what, this actually will work. It's, it's high risk, high reward because it's uh, almost a two and a half mile loop I had to make. And I'm going to get within like a couple hundred yards of his bed, but I'm going to be crossing right over I'm going to be walking right through the bedding areas for a West wind, which we don't have that day, but it's still their bedding areas. Right. Right. So, you know, I'm thinking like I'll have satellite bucks in there. I'll have maybe a doe in there. Like it's high risk at this point. Right. Causing all kinds of ruckus when you go through there, even if you're, even if you're slick, right. The chances of bumping into something's, you know, pretty high. Right. Exactly. And, and, and this was a point where like being a wind based hunter really helped me because a lot of people knowing that, Hey, bucks bet on the east side of that one ridge for a west wind. They might not have everyone in there because they don't really know where that buck's bedded. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he could be bedded in any of those beds. Right. And the other uh, point I want to make too is I have every bed in that hub marked on on my map. Every single one of them. Nice. So that helped me a lot navigating through there. You know, I was I knew how to get through there. So 
the day, the day comes, you know, my wind's good. I, uh, pack up my gear. I, I get my truck. I drive, uh, about a half hour to my spot and the edge of the road, I pull off, I check my wind with milkweed and bam, east wind. I mean, dead east. And I'm like, wow. this is the, the best case scenario possible right now. So I, I start the trek, man. And like the first mile and a half, I'm flying, you know, stand on back and I'm just, I'm, you're I'm stoked. Back. Yeah, you're pumped. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm fired up. So I'm making my little Instagram videos I do, which I do every hunt, but this one, it worked out. So it's a little better, I guess. Um, <laughs> filming, filming for my YouTube hunts and stuff on the way in, doing all that stuff. And I get to about a half mile from where I want to set up. Well, actually, I have a half mile loop left, but I'm only probably a quarter mile from that buck at this point. Mm-hmm. So he's on the, he's basically on a westerly facing ridge. And it's a bull system, so there's a west ridge and then a bottom, then east ridge, right? Normally, they're bedded on that easterly facing ridge for a west wind. So it's all green briar in there, too. And these, it, it's like the thickest hardwoods I've ever been in. It's oak, hmm. a little bit of pine, and just green briar. Hmm. So I get to the point where I get up over the ridge and I'm on that, or the, I'm on the easterly facing ridge and I'm really slowing it down, man. I mean, I'm taking my, my sweet time. You know, there's a couple points where I have to crawl. I'm, uh, I got to the point where I was so close to some of these satellite beds or westerly facing beds that I'm, you know, I'm not even moving unless I hear like a squirrel or a gust of wind or something. Right. I'm, you know, the whole time I'm checking my wind, my wind, I actually have the thermals helping me at this point with that wind. So my wind's not even close to blowing the steer out. So I make this giant loop, you know, I'm basically headed South right now. I'm going South. I get to this cliff, it's cliffed out, and I have to basically scale this cliff about 20 feet down into a pond, which is still on the side of a ridge. So I kind of, you know, fall a little bit. I get down, I pick my bow up out of the dirt, I'm kind of ticked off. I'm, right. You know, typical, like, opening day hunt and stuff that we deal with. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, dust myself off, and I'm crossing this creek. And the whole time in the back of my head, man, I, I, I'm thinking, like, Jake, just, just do what you got to keep doing what you're doing. You got to keep working hard because this one's for dad. Like this is dad's hunt. Um, and that, that really helped me too, because, you know, we get in these situations where like, you'll just fly into an area and you can, you can easily get in there or you can do it the hard way where you're almost like stalking your way in. Yeah. That's, it's much more difficult. You know, it's taxing on your body. You're Mm -hmm. just, everything about it's, it's, it's kind of mentally exhausting, Mm -hmm. but I knew like, keep this pace, keep being patient make everything perfect, do it right and get down to that ridge. So cross up the next ridge, still westerly bedding point, And I bump a deer off that ridge uh, and I'm, I'm thinking, shit, don't run too hard. Like I know it's not my buck because he would never, uh, you know, a six year old buck, five, six year old buck, isn't going to put himself at that disadvantage being bedded on the wrong side of the ridge for the wind. Right. He's not going to do it plain and simple. So it was a, it sounded like a decent sized deer. I never saw the rack on it, but I'm pretty sure it was a buck. He was a lone deer, but he kind of ran up the way that I anticipated that buck was bedded. So I was kind of like, shoot, you know, that's not ideal, but it definitely wasn't my buck. So mm-hmm. I, I don't care. You know, right. I'm, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing and not get ticked off that I just bumped the deer. And I think that's another, if I look back on it, that was one of the highlights was being at the point in my hunting in like at a stage in my hunting career where I can say, you know what, that's not even the buck I'm after because he wouldn't do that. He's not going to put himself to that disadvantage. Right. And 
proceed, you know, continue on, yep. keep going. So I get up over that ridge and this is at the point where I was telling you earlier, I kind of just sat down and, you know, it was like 20 minutes I sat there and I'm listening for all the different acorns dropping and hitting the limbs and the leaves and hitting the ground. And when one falls, the squirrels run over to it. And, uh, it was, it was raining in there, man, just raining acorns pretty much. And I didn't see any squirrels up on the hillside. I'm even glassing for squirrels. You know, I'm trying to make sure <laughs> the flat I'm the flat I'm targeting is the flat that they're on because right. all the squirrels are where the acorns are. Yeah. And so it, it, I mean, I decided, you know what, that first oak tree, that first white oaks dropping, you know, the squirrels are over there. I can see them dropping. I'm going to crawl through like this mucky little basically drainage and I'm going to get up as close as I can to that tree on the backside of it. And I'm going to set up well from my bed scouting. I actually laid in the bed. The buck was in (laughs) this, uh, this spring and then the beginning of summer as well. And I knew that he could see that Oak flat from his bed. (laughs) So, you know, that Oak flat had a, basically I came up to it and like, he could have seen my waist the whole time I was walking up to it. So he could have seen him from like my waist up basically. And, uh, so I get to the back of the tree I made a decision. I'm going to set up on the back of this tree. I'm not even going to try to set up on the front of it. And this is where, you know, I run the lone wolf custom gear DS five, the little tree stand, Yep. but I wear a saddle so I can saddle hunt out of that if I need to. And this is one of those situations I needed to be able to saddle hunt. So that's what I did. I got up there. I set up my, my stand and I saddle hunted just like I had a platform. No different. Yep. Um, I set up when I actually ranged the scrape, there's a community scrape right there as well. It was, the scrape was 15.4 yards and I knew that that was going to be roughly my shot. It'd be quartering two, but I, I shoot vector custom shot, real heavy arrows with a uh, iron wheel broadhead. So I'm like, yep. I can blow through and, and double lung him from 14 yards all day long. Like that's not a concern of mine. Right. So, uh, I'm set up, man, and I'm, you know, I get my camera set up because I run all that camera gear and stuff, and I get everything ready, and I hear a stick crack. I'm like, man, it's early. It's like 5, probably 5.40, 5.45, and uh, look over, and it's three does, which for me is worst-case scenario. Yeah, I don't want anything no to do with does in the woods, yeah. especially on an oak flat that I'm on, you know, and I know they're going to ha- they're gonna just camp gonna out, hang, Yeah, they're just going to hang out and munch, yeah. Exactly. So that's exactly what they did. And, uh, the, the big old nanny doe, she's eating acorns and sure enough, she looks up and just picks out my bow in the tree. Thankfully I'm in a saddle on the back side of the tree because this tree had no cover, but it was the kill tree, mm-hmm. but I'm on the back side, So she can't really pick me out. So, you know, she keeps just kind of stomping, but she didn't snort at me and she works over actually to the South further which helped me. And when she got like 20 yards to the South, I kind of got fed up with it. I, I turned my head and looked at her and she just ran completely South, which never happens, but it worked perfect. Right. Yeah. So she jutted, she jutted South and her fawns followed her. And you know, for me, best case scenario, they're gone. She never blew. I didn't have uh, yeah. to deal with any of that. Exactly. She's so, out of there that she didn't cause any extra noise. She didn't run toward the buck and then she's, and then she's no longer there to screw it up. If dude walks in. So Exactly. And you know, the whole time too, this, this setup was so perfect for wind. She was trying to get my wind, but I mean, I have the wind blowing right in my face off the Oak flat. So bulletproof. And I've got a Ridge behind me, which is just helping me even more. It's sucking right up that Ridge. Mm -hmm. So winds bulletproof, you know, she goes away and I take this big deep breath because I'd been tense 
for like 10 minutes. You know, I, I wasn't even blinking. My eyes right. were burning and you know how it is. Like yeah. you, you try not even to breathe. You're like holding yeah. your breath and you're like, if I, so if I, I if I, if I don't breathe, I'm invisible. That's kind of like the the mentality you get. It is. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I don't know. I don't know why we think that, but that's what goes through my head too. So, uh, exactly. they go off though. And it's, uh, it's into like, I want to say it's about six twenty, six twenty five, something like that pretty early still, you know, it's still daylight for sure. And, uh, I'm just kind of looking back and forth. I'm glassing up by where his bed is. Cause I can see the green briar patch, but then it gets thick and I can't see it. And then he would just like wind up at the Oak flat. Well, sometime during this whole, the whole, uh, doe debacle, he got up and started heading towards the Oak flat <laughs> because I turned my head back to the left and he's making the same turn. They just made nonchalant, man. I mean, you know, six year old buck, what is that? September 30th walking in daylight down a ridge going to get acorns again. Like I want what I think what happened is he was listening to those white oaks drop all day and it was just, he couldn't take it anymore. It was driving him nuts. Right. He probably watched those 20 squirrels down there. and was like, I'm not dealing with this anymore. Those are my acorns. So well, that, and he probably, he and I'm sure and, he uh, heard, I'm sure he heard those other deer that were down there, just like the stomping or whatever. Probably knew that they were there. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah. all right, now I got, you know, now I got Betsy and her two kids down there munching on my, you know, they say that like, you know, no, uh, uh, youth hostel where we're just handing out free food, you know, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, this is mine. Like, I'm going to go ahead and run them off. Exactly. And, uh, so he comes down and he hits that scrape under that white Oak. Perfect, man. He's at 15 yards. I've been at full draw for about a minute now at this point. And, uh, I remember telling myself, I need him to take, to put his right foot forward so I can shoot right behind that shoulder. You know, like I want to hug it as close as possible. Right. And he leaves the scrape. He moves his left foot first, and then he takes another right step. And I just plugged him. I mean, right through right, basically the back of the shoulder, double lung. And, uh, he ran like 35 yards, 40 yards and fell right over backwards down the hill again, right towards me. Wow. That's crazy, man. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was, so what was, what was your kind of feeling? Well, before, well, let's, let's go there. Cause I have a couple of follow-up questions about kind of just like the, the approach to the hunt, but like this hunt was, you know, a special one, you know, for you. I'm just, so I'm just curious, man, like, you know, killer deer. So that's enough like to get you shook, right? Like it worked out, you know, all the work and stuff like that. But what was your kind of thought? Like when you stuck the arrow, you knew you hit him good and then you watch him fall. Like what was your immediate thought? I, it was dad, man. It was, yeah. uh, I knew, I knew that I I knew that dad got up in that bed and booted that deer right in the butt and sent him right <laughs> to me. Um, That's right. it was cool though, dude. It was hands down. Not only, I mean, it really was truly the hardest hunt of my life for the mental aspect, the physical aspect of that, like stock, like two mile approach, um, you know, putting all those pieces together and then to do it for him that day was just, I, I, if, if I wasn't strapped in, I, I really would have fell out of the stand. I mean, it was unbelievable and I've, I've got it on video, you know, that'll be a video that gets posted. It's a lot, man. It really yeah. is a lot, but it's, it's real, you know, that's real life. And we do it for a lot of different reasons and we're passionate about what we're doing. You know what I mean? And yeah, it comes out, dude. It just, when it all hits you like that, like you said, shooting the deer is enough, but to do it under those circumstances, just, just shook me bad, man. And I, uh, that's something that I really will be grateful for for the rest of my life. I mean, that was, that was a memory. 
for sure, man. And there ain't no no shame in that game, brother. You know what I mean? It's like, like you said, we do it for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, and, and sometimes there's, you know, hard circumstances that you don't wish on any of your friends, certainly, you know what I mean? Especially, you know, a hunting, a hunting brother, you know, and, um, when they're able to fulfill that dream or it's almost like manifest destiny, you know what I mean? It's like that it almost feels like that was set in motion and was meant to be long before that hunt happened. You know what I'm saying? And that's just kind of yeah, really, it, it really does. Yeah. And so that's, man, I want to circle back for like a couple like follow up questions. Like you were mentioning camera dates and it sounded to me like, and I didn't want to break the flow of the, the story cause you were killing it on telling the story. So I, I was just like listening with bated breath, essentially. Um, when you talked about getting pictures of him, like was he summering in that same area? Because you mentioned something interesting that I've kind of been not struggling with, but like toying with, cause I see it different in different places. Like, you know, in these big wood sections, you mentioned like a lot of times these deer don't, don't transition or a lot of them don't. Right. And some of them will, and, and, and a lot of, a lot of them will. And I've seen that, seen that too. Did this guy summer where you ended up killing him? Like, was he always kind of in that area consistently or did he just start to kind of show himself as like it got further into September, you know, when you started getting like, I guess, additional pictures or whatever of him that like, okay, he's here later in mid September or whatever the time frame was. And so now I know he's like, this is going to be like part of his fall area or was he just like, yeah, you know, it, how did that play out? It, yeah. So it was, it was uh kind of odd. It was a little bit of both for him, which was unusual. I had him now that I, now that I killed him and I see him in person, I realized that I had him on camera in June on the other side of the property, almost a mile away. Hmm. And there's a private cornfield within like a half mile of that side of that property. So I'm curious if the, if he wasn't going to that, I had one picture of him and then mid August, I had one blurry picture of him from a budget cam. So I couldn't even see the tines or anything, but I knew that just seeing the frame now it was him. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't get another picture of him until September. Okay. So it was, it was like, it was kind of, you know, it was, very sparse at first but then he started to become more consistent and i think it was those oak flats heating up i really yeah pretty sure that it was that and maybe some of those ag fields got cut yeah that were within a mile i haven't even drove by them to check to be honest with you right i just i haven't i haven't been over to that side yet but yeah it wasn't the typical you know a lot of my biggest bucks i'm finding don't shift they don't shift at all yeah they're always in those areas and they it's home Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that are almost easier to kill, if you ask me to, because you can pattern them kind of all year, to be honest. Right. And that's the... except. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, with the exception of, like, the food sources shifting between, like, Oak Flats a little bit, mm -hmm. they're generally in that vicinity, so you can put a lot more pattern on them. Right. Yeah, that's the one thing, you know, that I'm always kind of curious about, you know, because I've kind of noticed that in the big woods, because when you mentioned that, you know... Some of the places, I guess, that I hunt, it's, there's not really any ag around, and you know, the only thing they really have are cuts and and stuff like that, and whatever the you know the browse might be and, and things of that nature. And so, if they found a place that has food, like my thinking is, is, like they're hard pressed to leave because this is a huge piece of big timber in this particular area. There's not like super thick timber where it almost turns into like just super open, like I call it like pole timber, but it's just like a lot of beach, a lot of maple, you know what I mean, type of stuff where it's just like you could throw a baseball. You could have you could play catch in it essentially right so it's oh, not yeah. like great deer habitat necessarily and it happens in pockets and like so that's kind of been my hypothesis is that look a lot of these deer that are that i'm finding in the summer if they do transition they're probably not going to move real far 
because like the the reason that they're here, there's not like another one over the next ridge for them to find themselves in. You know what I mean? Like with all the same kind of accoutrements that they would want to live, so to speak. Um, so the other part, you know, that you kind of mentioned too is like not worrying too much. Well, you were worried about those beds as you were kind of making your way through, but you mentioned, you know, a couple years ago, like you may have thought differently about it about, you know, bumping deer out of those beds potentially. Of course you didn't want to, but you knew that those weren't the deer that you wanted to hunt. And that's one thing that like, even in talking to Dan that we've talked about where he's like, look, sometimes like if it's a satellite buck or a doe or whatever, and it's not going to screw up my hunt, like I'm not hunting them. So I don't care. Like I like, yeah, I'll, I don't want to blow them out, but if I have to ultimately to get to where I need to get to, to kill the deer I want to kill, then that's just the cost of doing business. And I think it's really kind of a good observation that you made where it's like, look, a couple of years ago, I might've been a little bit more timid of making that move because of those, those deer and that, that high risk potential. But you had the wherewithal to recognize it. Like, look, the deer I want to kill isn't even going to be there, which I think is awesome because that's just like one of those things of like growth as a hunter and like, you know, no risk it, no biscuit type of an approach. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And I've heard Dan talk about that before and that kind of, you know, I'm taking tips off all these other guys, which help my own, help my own theories and my own hunting. And then obviously yeah. being able to put it to work helps a lot. Yeah. But yeah, that was, that was something that I have definitely experienced growth on for sure. And, uh, you, I don't think that you should be scared of doing that or timid of doing it really. It's just a matter of how much damage do you think that deer is going to do mm-hmm. if you do bump one off there. Yeah. And, uh, you, each situation is going to be totally different too. You know, it just really depends. Yeah. And then that, so that scrape was there and you were kind of using that as like, this might be, you know, he's come in here, pick up some oaks, you know, pick up some acorns and, you know, hit this scrape would be ideal. You know, how often are you setting up on like sign, like a primary scrape versus like hunting off of it? Cause I hear different, I put it this way. It's like, if I have my choice, I like to hunt. I like to hunt on the side, especially scrapes. Like I love scrapes. That's just like my, that the way I like to hunt. And I will hunt like to where I can oftentimes shoot to it if I can. But I also know a lot of dudes that I've talked to, like the Nathan Killens of the world and stuff like that, who just basically doesn't hunt over the scrapes. Like there might be one in the vicinity, but he's not within bow range of it. And he might not be within 60 yards of it. And he, you know, and he's sitting in him specifically, I'm using his as an example. Like he doesn't even often set up on, on sign. Like it'll be in the general area of, but he's not hunting on the sign. What's kind of your usual or I guess approach to that? Do you find yourself more often kind of hunting closer to the sign or on the sign or or do you kind of just kind of play each situation by by ears to a degree? So it is situational and um the the reason being is I want to hunt the closest thing that I can to that buck's bed that I that that's hot. You know what I mean? And a lot yeah. of times it will be like that scrape. But say that, you know, in this situation, that scrape and that white oak flat are like 80 yards from that buck. Mm-hmm. So there's no sense in me going past that and going up on the hillside and trying to kill him halfway. A, he's going to see me. B, I don't need to push that limit. I don't need to be that close. Like, I'm already within range. Mm-hmm. Now, say that he was bedded 250 yards from that scrape, but that was the hot hub scrape and still the hot white oak flat. Right. Then I'd have a different approach. If I could make it closer to that bed, I would. You know, and I've ran into that scenario quite a bit in different hill country settings where the community scrape, there's no doubt it's hot. It's it's signed up, you know, it's fresh, it's got acorns dropping around it, it's everything that you want to see. And 
but but if you know the buck's better on that ridge up there 200 yards away you're gonna have to push it a little bit closer and that's hard to do sometimes because like you know i have a lot of these hubs have all these bedding ridges right Mm -hmm. but if you go past that if you're at the scrape you can basically hunt all the ridges but you might be a little out of out of the game because they won't get there in daylight yeah so you have to make that decision like i'm gonna go past this hot scrape because i think that buck is bedded on that ridge and I'm going to go about halfway. If you're right, you're, you're a hero. You know what I mean? You pull right. it off, but if yeah. you're wrong and he comes down off the ridge behind you and hits that scrape, well, then you kind of screwed up and you learned a lesson. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. it's situational. I'm as aggressive as I have to be in those situations. Right. I, I do. I, I 100% will walk by the hot community scrape to hunt the ridge. If I know the beds are further away. Right. And, uh, this situation really is a perfect example of that. If I would have had, let's say a South wind and he was on the backside of that Ridge and I knew he wasn't going to make it there. I would have had a much different approach, even though he's going to that flat, he's making that hot scrape, like everything's there. My approach would have been way different hmm. than knowing that he's bedded 80 yards from it. So, so, so that's that interesting, man. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. But like, let's talk just to, a little bit and we don't have to go into super great detail but like how would your how would your approach have have been have been different if that wind would have been different so if i would have had a southwest wind and he was bedded on the other side of that ridge but i knew he was coming up over the top of that ridge mm-hmm. and crossing down to that scrape at night i would have accessed from a totally different parking lot it would have been you know, a, a mile and a half from a different parking lot, as opposed to the one I use, mm-hmm. I would have came in from the South instead of the North. And I would have set up on basically a just off wind as he came up over top of that Ridge where I was telling you about that scrape that he hits on the wind shift. Yeah. I would okay. have set up like that. You know, uh, it would have yeah. been uh it would have been, I mean, my setup would have been like four or 500 yards different hmm. and the access would have been totally different for right. that exact same deer yeah that's interesting yeah and and that's that's interesting that that scrape on that other side for that for that or uh, based on that wind shift that's kind of like you know it's, it's almost like he yeah i don't know man that's interesting because when we think about what we were talking about earlier like you know paying attention to things like the details and um almost letting the hunt come to you to a degree right because at that point then it's like does that scrape become the place right? Like the hot, the hot scrape, so to speak, like the, the hub scrape of course is like the, the Mecca. Right. But if he's exactly. using this other one on the, on the wind shift, it's like that, well, that becomes like potentially like the, you know, uh, like number one, a or one B yeah. so to speak, you know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, he's going to come through here, which means he's probably going to just, he may not spend a lot of time there, you know, but he may, he might hit it, stop, give it a little sniff, see what's happening and then kind of move on his, on his merry way. And it's just kind of paying attention to those small things. It's like, where are those interception opportunities at? So that's cool, man. That's why we do this, man. That's the chess match right there. And that's what makes this style of hunting so much fun is yeah. you're literally, it's a chess match, dude. And it's, there's so many factors and there's so many decisions that you can make that influence everything so greatly. It's just, I mean, that's, that's the glory of it right there. Yeah, dude, you got me all fired up for my hunt tomorrow evening now. I'm ready to go awesome. out and get that's, out. That's perfect. <laughs> You're so, going to be glassing squirrels, man. That's, well, it's funny you mentioned that, man, because as you were saying it, like, so, you know, the way I found, the way I kind of refound this guy, I had a picture of him in the summer, like, 
I want to say like June sometime. And I kind of noticed him, like his rack was kind of funky. And I was like, all right, that's cool. I was like, I don't know what he's going to end up being, but we'll see. I saw him later in the summer again. And then I didn't see him at all. Like until I think I had, I think it was like mid July or something like that was the second time I saw him. And then I just never checked that camera because it's in an area that I kind of know to a degree, like what's going on. And I don't really need to know until like kind of what you were saying. It's kind of like one of those ones where I know that it's a decent spot and I don't really need to check it until like midish September or something like that to when I think I'm about ready to go hunt it. You know what I mean? And so I just kind of left it alone and I walked in, we can't hunt on Sunday. So I went in on Sunday this past week, um, just to kind of check it and pull cameras so I can kind of get inventory around, you know, my local area because I really didn't have anything to chase locally. Like I hadn't found anything during the summer that like got me excited. And so I was kind of bummed out. And so I went and checked the camera and, uh, you know, saw him starting to show up. And and while I was in there, like acorns were dropping, squirrels were chirping. Yeah. I was checking acorns as I was walking. So even before I checked the camera, like I noticed the acorns I was checking, I'm like, okay, this is a red Oak. All right. This is a red Oak. I'm like, okay, all right, here's a white Oak. You know? So I was going through kind of doing my inventory and as soon as you said that, like, glassing for squirrels, I was like, I'm like, man, now I'm even more fired up because it was like the squirrels were on fire in there. Like, the other day, whenever I was in there and, like, on the camera, like, leading up to that, it was like raccoons and just, like, deer in front of this camera, just, like, munching acorns every single day. So now you got me all, like, doubly fired up with the squirrel talk, man. So. <laughs> oh, I like it. Hey, it gets, it gets worse, man. You know, uh, like, kind of a tangent, but so they're, they're good for locating food, right? Yep. They're good for cover noise when you're setting up, you yeah. know, like I don't really hang a stick unless one sounds off, which they're doing all the time when they're feeding on those oak flats. Right. So I'll, I'll actually use them as like a cover noise. And then obviously when a deer comes even close, they go crazy too. Yep. They blow so it's off. like just, yeah, little weird things like that help you out. It's, uh, yeah, it's different for sure. Well, man, uh, we've been spent, we spent about an hour here and I want to be sensitive to your time and, and things of that nature, but dude, I'm super happy for you, man. Congratulations. It, it was a tough hunt. It was, uh, a worthy hunt, you know, and, um, with all the circumstances around it, dude, like I just can't be, couldn't be happier for you. And truthfully, you know, it couldn't happen to a better dude who gets after it. You know, you deserve it more than, you know, as much as anybody that I know, I'll put it, I'll put it that way. And, uh, you know, I just wish you the best of success, you know, and my thoughts are, are with your family. I hope you guys are doing all, doing all right. I appreciate it, Clint. Thank you. And, uh, go get that buck tomorrow. Good yeah, luck. I'll, I'll try to brother. But Hey, before I let you go, man, you know, let people know where they can find out more about you. Let them know where that video is going to come out. Cause I can't wait to watch that and anything that you are kind of involved in, uh, or involved with during this hunting season. Yep. So, uh, you guys can find me over on Instagram at Jake Bush solo. I uh, try to do like a lot of informative videos too, and I, I hope they help some people. Um, it'll be like me laying in a buck bed, explaining why he's there and how I would attack that situation, how I would set up on him. Um, I have the YouTube Legends of the Hunt, and we've got some pretty good public land kill videos on there. Uh, and uh, you can find me on Facebook at Jake Bush and add me there if you want to as well. Awesome, brother. Hey, man, I appreciate you. And then uh, keep me posted on what else you got going on this season. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you probably got a little traveling maybe coming up to uh, get out of state since you filled this one. Oh, yeah, yep. I'll see you in Kansas. You're going there, right? That's right, man. It's, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that offline here in a second, see if we can't link up. I like it. Sounds good, man. Thanks. 
All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there too. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. Before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skullbrew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. You go out there and the fish are where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.